Princess Grace Award winner Ashton Edwards was promoted to the core of Pacific Northwest Ballet in 2022. Ashton is challenging traditional gender roles at the professional level and shifting the landscape of the ballet world, paving the way for a new generation of dancers. What I've done has already been done. We've had male bodies on point do incredible things. I just feel like maybe I was one of the first to be acknowledged, but I'm definitely honored to be in my position. You're listening to Moving Moments, the podcast that explores the dance world's most accomplished and groundbreaking artists. I'm your host, Alicia Graf Mack, Dean and Director of Dance at the Juilliard School. During each episode, you'll hear me talk with some of my closest friends and most trusted colleagues as we sit down to hear about their creative process and how they are changing the dance world on and off the stage. I'm just going to start by saying that you are leading a generation of dancers who allow their talent and dreams to lead before the traditional industry standards and norms of the dance world. For those who are listening, when training as a dancer, gender has traditionally dictated how you learn. But you, Ashton, just said, bump that. I am going to perfect it all. Do you consider yourself a trailblazer? a leader, a visionary? I don't know about all that. Um, I think, I feel like I still have so much to learn and feel like I'm learning so much every day that I don't know if I'm leading too many things. I feel like what I've done has already been done. We've had male bodies on point do incredible things. I just feel like maybe I was one of the first to be acknowledged, but I'm definitely honored to be in my position. I know you're from Flint, Michigan. Do you remember the first times you were dancing and what did it feel like when you were dancing? Oh, yes. We had this program at my elementary school and all the public schools in my area called Super Saturdays with the Flint School of Performing Arts where there's violin, there's all these instruments and vocals and uh, dance and they take all the public school students and if you have a spark in one of these areas, you get a scholarship. And if you just are consistent with your training and keep coming back every year, you keep up the same scholarship until you graduate. And that's kind of how I started. And in the beginning, it was just the best feeling in the world. It was just like flying. I don't remember the dance floor because I was above it. I was floating in the air. <laughs> it, it wasn't real that hour. I was away from reality. And then eventually we made it to the bar and that sophistication made me feel important and made me feel proud of what I was and who I could be if I just kept training and kept working hard. I liked that it was difficult and I immediately felt a sense of purpose standing at the bar. And so I loved that place, that position in class in ballet. So I couldn't stop. And tell me about your family. Did anyone in your family dance? Were they supportive of the idea of you taking dance classes? Well, I grew up with six brothers and sisters. Wow. So it was a lot of us and no one actually really danced except for myself and my younger sister after me. And so it was just kind of something that I fell into with the one field trip and just falling in love with it spontaneously. 
And then it was just a thing I did with all those siblings. Everyone had their activity and right. ballet was mine. I knew my schedule and when I had to be to class and I made sure like my mom came home with just enough time so I could get there early and warm up. Oh, I remember that rain. feeling. <laughs> yes. When you have to depend on your parents to drive you, you want to be early? I, you know, and I was, I was making lunch for myself and my sister and I was just like, we gotta get there. It was just my thing and it's been the most important thing in my life for a really long time. I think about, Amy, even where you slept, like where you laid your head. Did you have posters up? Did you have photos? What were the images that you kept in your mind as you were starting your early training? Definitely a photo that stuck with me was the photos that were up at my dance school. Mm -hmm. It was an old Dance Theater of Harlem photo that was up on the wall. And it's the one where they kind of make a triangle. And there's one where they're all kind of draped on each other and the gray unitards. That's a Glenn Tetley ballet. Yes. And I had that poster in my room when I was growing <laughs> up too. <laughs> that was a big inspiration of mine growing up, going to my dance school, seeing those photos. That was gonna be me. I just knew it. When you were growing up in Flint and studying at that school, did you have a connection with some dancers from Dance Theater of Harlem, because I remember some of my colleagues going to Flint every Christmas to perform in the Nutcracker. Were you part of that school that they were performing in? Yes, that's the Flint School of Performing Arts. Karen Mills Jennings, director of dance there, is so connected with so many people. She really provided us with this. And I think it was just reaching out to people. All the professionals I knew growing up were people of color. They were Black and they were from DTH or Collage Dance Collective. Those were all my inspirations and she connected all of us to them and we had amazing role models. That is really wonderful to hear. The seeds that have been planted by Arthur Mitchell and his dream are really coming into fruition and you see the next generation and the next generation where it becomes the norm to be surrounded by artists of color uh, and to be inspired by and to say, yeah, that's that's what we do. Of course, it's excellent. That's what we do. Right, yeah. Yeah, I feel so lucky that like the Clara that inspired me to continue ballet was Brandy Lee, beautiful mm -hmm. black dancer. Yes. Who no, just had this genuine joy and enthusiasm on stage. I couldn't wait to just get up there and play pretend in that beautiful pink dress. <laughs> it just, it looked like a fairy tale and it was never out of the question. I, I just knew it was possible. Yep, because you saw her. Yeah. There's certain images that are indelible and change your life. You know, certain people who change your life. So tell me about the process of training, as you say, at a very high and sophisticated level. At a certain point, you kind of have to make a decision when did you know for sure that you wanted to dedicate yourself to this craft? I think I was about, well, 13, 14. I got more and more serious. My teacher told me one day, you won't get the scholarship because you're cute anymore. Oh. <laughs> and, and so, like, you know, meaning like, you're not a little kid, so you yeah, have to you go have off to of your small, talent. You have to, like, you have to show up and you have mm -hmm. to work hard. And so she, she was there with me at the bar, Karen, she was like, okay, so we're going to lower the leg just a little bit, but we're going <laughs> to turn it out first. 
<laughs> and she really wanted to make sure that I was nourished as a human as, as well in those years. So I went off to summer intensives when I was about 14, 15. Mm-hmm. But I stayed at home and I worked with her closely. The women in my class were just incredible. We, we did all the steps. Everyone in the class did double tours and alcagon turns and, and flottes. And so we got all the same training. And then when I was 16, she sent me off to work with Peter Bowl at Pacific Northwest Ballet and be a PD. Wow, that's incredible. And so amazing that your teacher had that foresight and really understanding that dancers should do it all, right? No matter what the tradition dictates. When you went away to summer programs, I think that's the time that young people really start to see themselves because you're outside of your comfort zone. What did you feel when you went to those programs? Well, first I went to Collage Dance Collective. They have a two-week program and that's where I met Andrea Long and she was the person, she was my first teacher, like her class can be pretty strict. Yes. And so she, she taught me the seriousness of every step and every tendu and, mm-hmm. and every rond de jambe. I think that was the first time I was like, okay, so this is important to turn out and to really think about all the details. And my teacher just at home increased that in me. And then when I went to Joffrey, that was when I was first surrounded by male dancers who did all the steps, all the double tours and lots of pirouettes. And so I guess that was when I first realized, oh, there's a box that I have to try to fit myself into. But there I was appreciated for my talent and my technique. And so Mm -hmm. they kind of gave me leeway in, in letting me dance how I danced. But then at Houston, it was the really strict, you know, this is male technique. And so I I got pretty nervous, I guess, at that time in my life. It wasn't until I met Peter that I thought, like, I have a place in ballet. After Houston, um, it's a great school, and I believe that people find their place there, people that belong. But it really showed me the binary tracks Mm -hmm. in ballet. And so it was just discouraging for a long time. That year was pretty tough trying to conform. But in Peter's audition was the first time I tried Balanchine technique, the Balanchine style. And in that I got to dance and feel free and beautiful. Peter says he spotted me because I was smiling the whole time. After that audition, it was just that instant connection. He saw this light of me and He taught me all these incredible things about dance and technique. And we continued to work on the details and the ways that I could express myself. And so he brought back this new faith in ballet in me when I met him. I truly believe that we're all meant to be somewhere, right? So I think it's so beautiful that you found Peter Bull, the artistic director of Pacific Northwest Ballet, and he found you. What was the first year at Pacific Northwest Ballet like? It was challenging. At PMP, we have the PD program, mm-hmm. professional division, and it's a sort of trainee program where students come and 
There's really good training. We have 8.30 class every morning um, and sometimes a second class like Padada or Variations Point or Allegro class. It's, it's no longer men's class, which is beautiful. We wouldn't have the second class most days because PDs rehearse with the company. In most works we do, we require a big corps de ballet, so we're often using PDs, professional division students, but provides amazing experience for us. So when I got here, I was still pretty young. I was 16 mm -hmm. and five, three. <laughs> and so I didn't get to do a lot of the professional or company shows just due to my height. I kind of stood out a lot and I just looked like a baby. But I've still got the really good training and I got to talk to Peter and he had this faith in me that I just lost than going into auditions that year and I didn't receive a lot of attention from anywhere else and so that was difficult still being male presenting but I had really great mentors like Ben Griffiths who was a dancer in the company still going on his last year mm. he really took me in under his wing I remember this conversation we had where we stood eye to eye because we we're the exact same height and ah. he just went you know I know what it's like being the shortest guy in the class and just trying your best and just uh dealing with these limitations that you can't change and so we were in the gym together and he was he just wanted to make me the best I could be and so in a way I was still conforming but he helped me so much just train and just try to be the best dancer I could be. But soon came COVID and my first year came to a halt and I wow. went home studying and talking to Peter through Zoom. I stayed mm -hmm. with a host family just outside of Seattle, this town called Kirkland. I had this lovely family, the Breslins. They let me stay with them through COVID and I would dance in their family space and they had this beautiful balcony that I would throw my Marley on. I could, I could see the skyline of Seattle. Wow. So I had this beautiful view for 8.30 class in the morning. It was awesome. Um, 8.30 class? Yeah, it was early. <laughs> but summer was coming. It was getting warm. And so okay. it was really nice. COVID was like some of the most important time for me in my training. I went home and... I pulled the camera out, started taking photos and videos of myself and learned some hard truth about my technique. What did you learn? Oh, the turnout is hard to keep while <laughs> dancing. <laughs> I realized, you know, Petit Allegro, you know, those glissades, the mm -hmm. small things, we forget a lot. That's when I started point training. I borrowed a pair of shoes from a friend who had stopped dancing and they didn't fit me. I was going to ask, what size shoe do you wear and what type of brand of shoe do you wear? Now I wear a Freed of London shoe. I wear a six and a half double X. Okay. Um, but back then, I think I had like this gainer that was like a five. Way too small for me. Wow. Yes, that like... sounds like it would be too small if you wear a six <laughs> now. <laughs> I had a dream and... Uh, I just had to see it come true. I started at the bar and I did some point exercises with Catherine Morgan on YouTube. And I just tried some things and all my favorite variations, all my favorite videos, I just tried to do. And was, um, it, was it fun? I have the privilege right now of seeing the smile on your face as you're recalling these days. 
was it something that brought you joy just to do something different and consider what it would be like to dance on point? It was some of the most fun. I've always been the person to know all the the girl steps and, <laughs> and to do it in the wings with my friends. And so to just have that extra step of actually being on toe and feeling weightless and so free, oh, it was the most exciting thing. I would dance out there for like four hours. I was out there forever and I couldn't stop. And and then the host family I was living with, my host sister, Maya, she stopped dancing as well. She had old leotards and old mm -hmm. shoes to give me. And so I would put on leotards, which felt like a costume at first, you know, transitioning into this new person. It was difficult and it was just a new form of expression that just felt so honest. I was very vulnerable in that way. Putting on a leotard and it not being a joke um, mm -hmm. was difficult for me, but it was some of the most joy I've ever felt in my life. And it was just uh, the freedom of being alone and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and to be honest with yourself and what yeah. you really want and what you really love and need to survive. COVID really taught me so much. I did a lot of learning about myself and what I could do. Yeah. And it's so true because there was nowhere else to be but with yourself. Exactly. And so point and that time in COVID was just so crucial. And eventually I had to tell Peter, I just wanted to try. I knew I had something like I could do a pirouette, I could get up to toe. And so if I could only be in like a level five class is what I was asking for. And Peter trusted me and allowed me to get the shoes. All professional division students receive two pairs of point shoes, two mm -hmm. free pairs. And Peter just wanted to support me in any way he could. So he got me those shoes. Even at the time, as a male student, I wasn't required to have those shoes, made the exception and just had that faith in me. And eventually a dancer in the company, Josh Grant, who danced with Trocadero and On Point for a while, got in conversation about me and told them they know ballet, they know training, they know what it means to get a correction and how to work smart. And so they bumped me up in my class and I went from, I think, level five to level eight. And then a month later, I went to the PD class. So I was in the highest level of the school in one year on point. That is incredible. And another sign of your genius, because most people start point around 11 or 12 years old after having some years of strengthening their legs and feet. And then it takes another five, six years to really become an advanced level dancer on point and you achieve that in one year that's crazy i was just imagining <laughs> when you first put your shoes on did you go through the whole blister phase what were your <laughs> tactics to keep your feet from being gnarled up so wearing those gainers that were too small for me i bruised both of my big toenails before oh. i even started my first point class. Yeah. Even uh, if you just stand, they'll bruise your toenails if the shoes are too small. Yeah. And so that was a bad decision that I didn't know at the time. Don't wear shoes that are too small. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And so I I dealt with the pain. I just, I, I wanted it so badly mm-hmm. that I danced through it and I found out about lamb's wool and toe mm-hmm. pads later. And now I stuff my shoes with a million things, but <laughs> it was difficult in the beginning. The blisters, I have a couple corns now. It's yeah. a rite of passage. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> it's, Wear them yeah. proudly. You are, you deserve them. You earned those corns. The hard work. For every balance, you know, it's it's worth it. <laughs> there you go. So Ashton, in your story and how you found your joy, seems that you have developed such fortitude and strength. Where does it come from? I have a really resilient mother. My mom was a single mom of six kids. And so she had a lot of responsibilities, especially with my grandfather at the time. She was also taking care of him. And my aunt as well and my grandmother, just these really strong black women who raised me and also showed me light and joy and happiness in the struggle. They've kind of always taught me that to find happiness and to find a place to thrive, Mm -hmm. even in hardship. That's a place you have to create sometimes. Those lessons that kind of stuck with me and helped me the most in ballet when I feel at my lowest or most vulnerable, being in point shoes and in a costume sometimes, it's new and I kind of feel alone some days, but I know it's important and I know that if I just try, it'll be okay. Ugh, if I was your mother hearing that right now, I would be in tears. <laughs> I hope you tell her. Oh, yes, I try to remind her as often as I can. <laughs> what does it feel like to be in motion? And when I say the phrase moving moment, what do you think about? Hmm. I think about a Shane turn. When I started dancing, I just shenayed everywhere. <laughs> I, I love a pirouette. I love, love, love to turn. And so when I think of moving moments, I think of my life as this constant shenay where I'm just turning through it all. You know, things happen. I'm like, oh, it gets scary sometimes. You don't know if you're going to make it through. But I just kept dancing and... My whole life, I just felt like I was going to make it and dancing was going to do something for me. And (laughs) I just kept my shoes on, kept my toe shoes on, even when the struggle got to be a struggle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and so when I think of a moving moment, I think of that shane I took through the pain. (laughs) Beautiful. You know, if you think about it, a shane turn is honestly just putting one foot in front of the other. Traveling. That is, yeah. And turning. Right? You're just stepping right, left, right, left. That's all you're doing. But the turn allows you to travel. That might be a metaphor for life that you just uh, (laughs) revealed there. The Shane turn. The Shane turn. Wow. (laughs) I love it. I know you had the opportunity to perform in Swan Lake, which is like the quintessential white ballet. Meaning that the costumes are all white and traditionally the core of dancers all look the same. And I wonder your impressions when starting to rehearse Swan Lake and what it felt like to perform in this historic ballet. I mean, 
I think anytime I put on a point shoe, I feel this big responsibility to keep the legacy going, to carry on this tradition of strong dancers. To put on a point shoe is difficult. And so I know immediately when I stand in one, I need to stand properly. And to be in this ballet, I felt the same responsibility. I need to hold myself to the standard. It was interesting some days looking around. Some days I really realized that I didn't look like the people around me. Mm -hmm. My shoulders are bigger or, or I just felt that I didn't fit in. And so those days I just tried to focus on what I could control. And that's my technique. What are my shoes doing? What are my legs doing? How am I standing? But in the end, my colleagues, we all came together. There was no way to make it through Swan Lake without each other. It's really a sisterhood standing in that B plus for your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a challenge, but we make it through together. And so leaning on them, getting their support, feeling history in that, feeling that generations of women have done this so many times and they always have to come together. I felt that legacy and that tradition be passed down, especially with the older ballerinas, the mm -hmm. older, the senior core members. And so it was a process, but in the end, the history hugged me. And so it was magical to perform. I love that. And do you perform with your brown tights and shoes? Yes. And it's so awesome now. Again, we have leaders like uh, I look up to Amanda so much, Amanda Morgan in my company. And we have dancers like Daphne Wimpy. Yes. Um, and we rock our brown tights together. <laughs> and, and so it's awesome to have my sisters here and dance with them. And with the Freeds, you're adding makeup to the shoe to match your tights, or are they already your skin color? They come brown and bronze now. The Freeds, too. Yeah, and so that's been awesome to get those shoes. Of course, now we're in the process of getting customs for me. I go through a lot of pink shoes for rehearsal, but our goal is to only perform in brown shoes. You have already starred in so many roles. I know that you performed a role that was originated for Tyler Peck in Justin Peck's The Times Are Racing. What was it like to work with Justin on this part? Oh, it was so awesome. Even the audition and working with Craig Hall as well. And so that was really cool to be in this new environment and to be in a studio with three or four people <laughs> instead of in the core with everyone. And to feel those eyes on you, it was nerve wracking. But Craig, Justin, <laughs> they were so supportive that I felt like I could do it. And so those rehearsals were just amazing. It was so cool to ha have that trust as an artist to find my own expression in a piece like that, especially after a dancer like Tyler. She really put her stamp on this piece because she is such a unique dancer. It was difficult, but it was a challenge I was ready to face and make my own. And so I had a blast working with Craig and Justin and our rehearsal director, Giovanni Villalobos, and finding my own expression and way of dancing, especially in my first big role, I felt like it was my debut with the company. What is the ultimate role you want to perform? Till I die, Aurora. It's a beast, but it's one I want to conquer. It's just the ultimate princess fairy tale 
pink tutu pretty tiara <laughs> uh, it was just my dream and the technical challenge is what intrigues me the most i would love to say i've made it that far because you just hear about how difficult it is and to conquer that challenge would just be so satisfying mm. but of course i would love to dance all the balancing roles where you just whirl and dance and, and you're in this moving moment and, <laughs> and this constant chene, this twirl. Uh, yeah, all, all of those. I want to I wanna explore it all. I remember reading an article, I think it was in the New York Times. It really concentrated on issues of race and gender and the point shoes. And at the end of the article you simply stated that you hoped one day that you could just talk about your dancing. And I really felt that because as a Black ballerina, I was always asked about race and the struggle. And sometimes I felt like, why do I have to concentrate on race when sometimes my counterpart can just talk about their dancing? I don't think I even had a question about that. I just think when reading it, it just really struck me. Just curious to know if you have any thoughts about that. I think it's important. I really want to touch those people and I want to get the message across in a big way. This is still a problem that we're solving in the ballet world and in life. And so it is something I want to touch on, but I hope that when people approach me, the first thing they see is my dancing. I've studied my whole life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I put some work into it. Yes. <laughs> and so it becomes frustrating, especially when I'm only approached by white journalists who want to tell my story as a queer Black person, when like, to really understand is impossible mm -hmm. coming from that perspective. And so if only you could just see my dancing for what it was first, respect that, and then understand how important it is that I got there. I just hope that's the future. I feel that and I hope the future holds those sort of conversations more and more about the quality of your dancing. Ashton, thank you so much for joining me today. You are a reminder of what is possible. So I thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. And especially from you. Oh, Alicia, what you've done for the community. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Moving Moments. If you like what you heard, please tell your friends about it. Spread the word. Be sure to follow the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. To keep up with future episodes, follow us on Instagram at Moving Moments Podcast and visit us at artfulnarrativesmedia.com. Tune in next week as we hear another inspiring artist's moving moments.